You're listening to Don't IEP Alone with special education advocate Lisa Leitner. For more information about Lisa, the IEP toolkit, and more ways we can help you in your process, go to adayinourshoes.com. Now back to the show with your host, Lisa. Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Don't IEP Alone. I'm Lisa Leitner. Sometimes I forget to say that. And once again, if you're interested, you can begin to check out my YouTube channel because if you really want to watch me talk instead of just hear me talk, my VA is helping me get these uploaded to YouTube. The other thing is that if you ever want to appear on an episode, that would be great. Just reach out to us at partnership at adayinourshoes.com. And I would love to have you on, you know, if you work within the community, within the disability community, IEPs, stuff like that. You might be an advocate, attorney, service provider, whatever you want to do or whatever you want to talk about, I should say. I'd love to have you on. I guess that's it for that. Before we get into part two of FBAs and behavior plans and today's behavior plans, um, I want to share with you an email that I got the other day from Kaylee in Tennessee. If you've been thinking about taking my training, this is what Kaylee had to say about it. She says, hi, Lisa. I took your class last year and I have a four-year-old with autism in pre-K in Tennessee. We were so worried about his IEP last week, fighting for him to stay on a modified schedule in order to receive outside therapies, which the school wasn't allowing without it being an unexcused absence. So we were at risk for being removed from the program. The school said they can't provide FAPE on the modified schedule. They didn't accept the letter of medical necessity from the developmental pediatrician, etc. Lots of obstacles for us. We reached out to so many state resources and talked to lots of professionals, but I kept wanting to tell you about it. For days and weeks leading up to the IEP, I had to keep reminding myself, do not email Lisa Leitner. You can do this. I rewatched so many of your lectures, and I had my little lighthouse in my mind and all my data, and I was just so prepared. We got everything we wanted and what my son was entitled to and didn't ruffle any feathers of the IEP team while doing it. I have a whole life of advocating for my son ahead of me, and I know how important this is. Anyway, after we finally got our ask, the modified schedule, I still wanted to email you. I thought it might be nice for you to know that your Don't IEP Alone program is exactly that. I felt like you were helping me the whole way, so I wasn't doing it alone. So many other parents are out there doing the same thing. I hope you realize the difference you are making for so many families and the lives of our children by teaching these skills. Thank you, Kaylee B. I'm not going to say her last name, but she sent me that. So if you want more information on any of that training, you can go to adayinourshoes.org and see what's available. Adayinourshoes.com will eventually get you there. That is my main site with all the articles and information on there. I believe we're up to about 700 blog posts about various IEP topics, but the training, the IEP toolkit, all that other fun stuff is at adayinourshoes.org. So last time I talked to you about FBAs and requesting FBAs and what to look at before you request an FBA and things like that. So part two of the process is the behavior plan, right? You had your FBA done, and now the team needs to develop a behavior plan. Again, you want to make sure that the IEP is robust and being implemented before you work on modifying behavior. Because here's the thing, behavior plans 
usually address behavior rather than the lack of an underlying skill. Let me give this example, and this is a home example. There are many kids out there, autism, ADHD, other learning disabilities, who cannot clean their room, right? So let's get into this whole won't versus can't, right? They cannot clean their room. And I've heard this from kids, and I've heard this from parents. Their rooms are a disaster, but when they walk into them, part of them doesn't even maybe see the mess, but the other part sees the mess. But if you say something as generic as clean your room, they don't even know where to begin. It's so overwhelming for them and their executive functioning skill set is so deficient that they can't plan it out. They can't mentally process this information and plan it out and come up with a plan of action to clean their room. They cannot do it. But what some parents will see is won't, right? I asked you to clean your room. They won't clean their room. So then we move into a behavior plan and we try to either reward or punish them into cleaning their room. If you clean your room, I'll buy you whatever, give you your allowance. If you don't clean your room, you're grounded. If you don't clean your room, you can't go to such and such. We try to reward and punish this skill set into the child. But if they don't have the skill set to do this, you know, they might be able to fake it and say, throw everything into the closet, throw everything under the bed so that it looks clean, but it's not clean right? Some of them can, you know, and there's different levels. It's not all or nothing, but that is a good example of, you know, again, the won't versus can't and trying to reward and punish a skill set into a child. You know, you have to accommodate them. You have to do what it takes. You might have to chunk it down. You might have to say, you know, you might have to go in every 10 minutes and say, okay, pick up the toys in this corner of the room and put them in this bin. And then it might be 10 minutes later, you say, pick up the books and put them here. And even that is a two-step direction, right? So some kids will struggle with that. But you might have to chunk it down to them into different parts of cleaning a room. And they just have to be taught the underlying skills. So the same thing goes for our kids. We find that kids have negative behaviors, say, in an area where they're struggling, right? They really don't know how to read or a certain subject area. Maybe the classroom is, is not sensory appropriate for them, whatever. And so... I see schools do things like these token economies and rewards charts and behavior charts, and um, they get a sticker or they get some iPad time if they sit in the class without incident. But meanwhile, the child still can't read, and they feel like everyone else around them can read, and they feel isolated and lost, and they don't know how to ask for help. So that's what they do. Think of these negative behaviors instead of thinking about attention-seeking Think of it as connection-seeking. The child is screaming for attention, yes, but they're seeking a connection. They're saying, help me. I can't do this. Help me. Another thing I see sometimes on behavior plans, you know, (laughs) I always say a child is going to take a sensory break. It doesn't matter if it's on the IEP or not. They're going to take a sensory break if they need a sensory break. So make you know, just put them on the IEP. But I see things like a child has to earn sensory breaks or things like that. The day that a child most needs a sensory break is the day that they are least likely to earn one. So they shouldn't have to earn accommodations. If they need it, put it on the IEP. They shouldn't have to earn their supports, 
right? We also want to, let's go back to that interoception. We don't want to force kids through their sensory experiences without conditioning them to it, right? Like at some point, some kids may be able to tolerate brighter places. They might be able to tolerate noisier places, but it doesn't just go from day one to day two. You can't reward a kid or punish a kid out of a negative interoceptive experience. If you force them through it, you're just going to make it worse. Um, I took my, my own son, and this is about to make me sound like a terrible parent, but um, my younger son loves basketball, and we go to a lot of Sixers games. So one time someone gifted us, someone gifted us four Sixers tickets. Since we got four, you know, all four of us were going to go. And mind you, this all happened very quickly. So I don't want you to think that I forced Kevin to, like, sit there through an entire NBA game having this completely negative experience because he didn't. But we went to the game, the four of us, and like right away he started, not right away, because as soon as it got loud and yes, they play a lot of like rap music when, you know, at NBA games. And of course there's like, I don't know what that, those like swirling lights and the crazy voice and they do all this stuff like to try to get the crowd engaged and it's loud and there's flashing lights and it's a lot, right? It's extra. But pretty much right away, as soon as that started, he started acting out and he started doing the stim thing where he started shaking his head back and forth very like aggressively, like not just kind of nodding, but it was like shaking. And I was like, okay, it was actually autism month. That's why we were there. It was their whole autism friendly game, which is why we went, which you would think that they would have a sensory friendly, but yeah, whatever. I won't get into that, but they did have, they do have a quiet room there at the Wells Fargo center. So anyway, so right away he starts like kind of shaking his head back and forth violently. And just as I was like saying to my husband, like, I don't think this is going to work out. I think he and I have to go to the quiet room. He started to actually gag himself. He was so upset at the noise and the commotion and the people around us that he started to gag. And again, this all happened like I never even made it to like halfway through the first quarter in a, in a you know a basketball game. The quarters aren't that long. This all happened very quickly. And that's when I was like, OK, we're going to the quiet room. And as soon as we got to the quiet room where there were mats on the floor and toys and beanbags and all that, he was fine. My point being, if your sensory experience is so negative and that's an extreme one, but it's so negative that you're gagging. Like you can't reward and punish a child out of that. If the smell is bothering them, the light, whatever, it doesn't matter. I could, if I wanted to, try to build up Kevin's tolerance to attending NBA games, but it's just not that important to us, right? He's been to a few and it's never worked out well, so we're done. But school's a different story, right? Like you have to, you know, try a different chair, try something. Because when I talk about these sensory experiences and visuals and smells and sound and all that, that's when I can kind of see teachers, they either get daggers in their eyes toward me or they start to panic because they think like, oh my God, now now all of a sudden, now I got to change everything. I got to change the classroom. I'm not suggesting that you all change an entire classroom environment try sound canceling headphones, try a beanbag chair, try chair bands on on the chair, try fidget toys, try calming stuff, whatever the case may be. Like there's little things that you can try that you don't, I'm not asking anybody to redo a whole classroom, right? Think about what's really going to happen on this behavior plan. And are you attacking the lack of skill sets because you can't reward and punish a skill set or a sensory experience into a child. Please learn your rights in the process. Everything needs to be done with 
learning to pair a good parent concerns letter with a PWN. And that is the main meat and potatoes of my training is that I teach you my strategy of how I do that, how specifically what data and documentation you need to gather and use and how to write a letter and all that all the way through the PWN. But you're going to need to learn that somewhere because, you know, you have to use your rights because otherwise, you know, behavior is the stuff that has these long lasting effects. And it's really difficult to turn around, especially once a child is in the discipline system. It is really hard to turn around perceptions of kids once they're in the discipline system, once they're labeled as a quote unquote troublemaker and bad kid and acts out and disruptive and all that. And also it's very socially ostracizing for them. And we want our kids to have a positive experience at school. So that's FBA's behavior plans. Did I miss anything? I don't know if I miss anything. Make sure that, again, that it's this holistic approach and that it's not just a black and white, like, here's the antecedent, here's when it's happening, and here's the behavior. And, you know, we think, because again, assigning these four functions of behavior, which I talked about last time, attention, escape, tangible item, or sensory, when the adults put that on the child. Like, we think he's doing it for attention. We think he's doing it to escape. And many times the kid is never asked why you're doing this. Um, Engage them to the maximum extent possible so that they can be a part of the solution because they don't want to do this. I don't know why we don't engage kids more in this and why we don't assume that they want it to end because they do. They know that they're different from their peers and they don't want to be different. They don't want to stand out. Um, so we have to we have to help them with this. But learn, read and learn your procedural safeguards in the process so that, again, you ask for everything in writing. You follow up with that PWN and use your parental rights in the process. So that's all I have for today on FBAs and behavior plans. I try to keep these short, under 20 minutes, because that is the average commuting time in America, so I'm told, is 22 minutes. So I do try to keep them under that for that reason. Enjoy the rest of your day. Um, feel free to email us at partnership at adayinourshoes.com if there's a topic that you want to hear, if you would like to appear on the podcast. I'd love to have guest speakers on all the time. Enjoy the holiday season. We are in the holiday season right now. And let's end this year strong. This wasn't a particularly great year for my family, but hoping to end strong and wishing you all the best. Thank you for listening to Don't IEP Alone with special education advocate, Lisa Leitner. We're so glad you've joined us and would love to connect with you outside of the show. For more information about Lisa, the IEP toolkit, and more ways we can help you in your process, go to adayinourshoes.com. From self-care tips to common IEP mistakes, there's even more to explore. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast and subscribe to never miss an episode. Until next time, don't IEP alone and you don't have to.